years and years ago, um, New Testament church, um, they didn't have public altar calls where they were calling people forward and having them invite Jesus into their heart. When people went public with Jesus, it's when they were water baptized. And that still holds true today, even though in many churches we have you, when you make a decision for Christ, we have you, there's some kind of action that's taken, whether you're standing, whether you're, you're walking forward, whether you're raising your hand, whether you're looking up and letting your eyes meet the minister's eyes. But water baptism is the end-all, be-all, going public and identifying yourself with Jesus' death burial and resurrection. If you have not been water baptized, or can I say this, if you were baptized but you were so young you didn't remember it like I was, I was an infant, it was my parents' profession of faith and not mine, um, I encourage you, sign up, get water baptized. This is a huge event. Um, We don't have the Jordan River in Ionia, but we do have a creek in Bertha Brock Park. And so we are going to baptize you in the stream, being as biblical as we possibly can without paying for everybody's plane ticket to go to Israel. And so please sign up, be water baptized. Those of you here, hear me. Those of you that are watching live, hear me. Um, Sign up and get water baptized. Amen. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. Can we stand in honor of God's word today? says, every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work just as Aaron was. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, you are my son, today I become your father. And in another passage, God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who would obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. There is much more we'd like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You've been believers so long, now you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Father in heaven, your word in Hebrews chapter 5 is chock full of truths that will grow us, that will stretch us. And Father, we ask that you would challenge us. Father God, we ask that your word would run rich and deep through every heart and life, coursing through it, changing directions, making crooked places straight. Father God, we ask that your word would bring renewal and restoration. Father God, we ask that your word would speak life over every believer's heart, Father, whether they're watching or whether they're standing present. Father, we ask that you would have your way today, believing 
that your word, when it goes forth, never returns void, but it accomplishes that for which you've sent it. And Father, we ask and pray that your word would accomplish your purposes in us today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated. To better understand Hebrews 5, I want you to look at 4.14. Because we really have to start there because Hebrews 5, keep in mind there were not chapter and verse when Scripture was originally written. That was added later for us. So this theme in chapter 5 is a continuation of what chapter 4 finished. It says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what believe this, what we believe this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive his mercy, find grace to help, help us in, when we need it most or in a time of need, depending on your version. So here we begin a theme that we're going to see in chapters 7, 8, 9, 10, as we continue in our series on Hebrews, and it's that of the priesthood and Jesus being our great high priest. We see Melchizedek mentioned, but I want to save Melchizedek for chapter 7 in a couple weeks when we look at chapter 7. In chapter 1, we saw that Christ was superior to angels. In chapters 3 and 4, we saw Christ was superior to Moses. Here, beginning in chapter 4, 14, we see how Christ is superior to the high priests. So what is said about Jesus as our high priest. Hebrews 4.14 says Jesus is our great high priest. Hebrews 5.6 says Jesus is a priest forever. And in Hebrews 5.9 it says Jesus is a perfect high priest. But why? Well, the answer is found in verse 9. Let's look at verse 9 again. It says, in this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Whereas all other high priests atoned for sin temporarily, Jesus atoned for sin eternally and forever. Whereas all other priests atoned for sin with sacrifices and offerings, Jesus was the sacrifice and offering. Whereas the priest used the blood of bulls and goats to temporarily cover sin, Jesus used his own blood to cover sin once and for all. But I want to look at some of probably my favorite verses in Hebrews, verses 7 and 8. And I want you to elbow your neighbor and say, it's going to get good here. It says, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. I want to read a quote by N.T. Wright. Um, If you don't know who N.T. Wright is, I would say that he is the C.S. Lewis of our day. I could encourage you strongly to read a book by N.T. Wright called Simply Christian. I would say it is the modern-day equivalent of mere Christianity written by C.S. Lewis. It's, it's rich. N.T. Wright is an, an amazing theologian, and if you ever get the opportunity to go see him speak, I would make the drive. I think he comes to the Grand Rapids area about every other year, and I've seen him twice now, and he's brilliant, brilliant, and I haven't even attempted to take notes. I just try to absorb what I can. I want to read a quote here 
from N.T. Wright. It's from his For Everyone Bible Study on Hebrews. It says, don't make the mistake that some Christians have made of imagining that Jesus, having become human in the incarnation, stopped being human after his death. One of the central beliefs of the early Christians, not least in this letter and those of Paul, is that Jesus remains fully and gloriously human, in that it is as a human being that he rules the world. When he represents us before the Father, he isn't looking down on us from a great height and being patronizing about those poor creatures down there who can't really do much for themselves. He can truly sympathize. He has been there. He knows exactly what it's like. I thought that that was awesome. I want to read verses 7 and 8 in the New King James. It says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. We're talking about Jesus here. We're talking about the Son of God, God the Son here. And it says that he was heard because of his godly fear. It says that he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. As best as I can understand it, in my little finite brain, this tells me that if Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered, that Jesus feared God, being God, feared God, which is, could leave your head in just a purple mist if you try to try to think about it long enough. That tells me that very often the better part of what I need to learn, it's going to come through some of the most difficult times I could ever go through. That there are truths, if I could be so bold, that we will never discover if we're not willing to suffer some, for Christ's sake. That where you stop and refuse to suffer, or suffer, you stop learning. That where you put a line in the sand and say, God, I could endure anything but, then you have now told God, then I will learn up to this degree and no more. That if I have to suffer, I don't want any part of it, God. I'm good Jesus didn't say that. I'm so glad he didn't say that. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that he didn't say We wouldn't be here today. So what if the better part of that which could cause you to grow the greatest is going to come through the times that are the toughest? What if that Garden of Gethsemane that you're in right now, that place of pressing, is going to extract that which is most precious to God, that oil? See, we don't want to go through the difficult times. But I'm so grateful that we do. You grow through pain. You grow through the things you suffer as a Christian. And any gospel that's preached that says suffering isn't for the Christian, I question its validity today. Because it has nothing to do with what Jesus or the disciples modeled for you and I. No, I'm telling you today that we're all going to face challenges. We're all going to go through our Gethsemanes. And based on how we go through it, we'll determine how we grow through it. And so as we continue this morning, I want you to know that what you're dealing with and what you're facing, that diagnosis, that relationship, 
those things that you've just come through, those things that you're facing, this could be your greatest time of growth that you've ever known. Greatest time of growth. And you can pull back and you can get offended, you can get wounded, you can say the pain's too great, but I'm telling you, it could be your greatest period of growth as a believer in Jesus yet. I think of scriptures like those found in 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, those who've suffered for Christ's sake have ceased from sin. Could it be that that habitual sin plagues you because you will not suffer for Christ's sake? Could it be that the things that you're dealing with are the enemy's attempt to get you to focus on you and you need to suffer a little bit and focus on Jesus? When is the last time you shared your faith? Man, I'm grateful everybody knows you go to church. When's the last time you shared your faith with someone? When's the last time you gave a testimony about what Jesus was doing in your life? Man, I'm glad that you've had all those wonderful experiences with the Lord from years ago. Last year, five years, ten years. What about today? What's God speaking today? What's God challenging you with today? Well, he doesn't challenge me as much anymore, Pastor John. Is that because God's not challenging hearts and lives anymore? Or is it because you don't want to be challenged anymore? Well, I'm here to challenge you today, and I want to be that piece of iron that sharpens you so don't shut me down, because what we're going to look at here is going to reinforce what we've just been speaking about. Keep in mind, as we look at this, Jesus learned obedience from the things he suffered. The Lord did. And Jesus' prayers were heard because of his godly fear, the Lord's prayers. And so let's go a little bit deeper and look at verse 11. You guys are quiet. That's okay. The writer now under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is now going for the juggler here, and he says, there is much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Please notice the connection with being spiritually dull and listening. It reinforces what we've looked at in the past couple weeks, too. Today, if you will, hear his voice, harden not your heart. Verse 12 you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and can't eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what's right. Solid food is for those who are mature and who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Here in lies the difference between the mature and the immature spiritually. Notice, again, like I said, spiritually dull, being connected to listening, and the author's writing not to just babies in Christ, even though they're called that. He's writing to people that have been saved a long time, a long time, a long time. Maturity teaches others the basics. Immaturity still needs to be taught. Maturity can handle solid teaching. Immaturity cannot. The mature know the difference between right and wrong, and they arrive at that place of maturity through training. And I just want to say this. When you think about babies, some of you have babies. We've grown 
with our babies. Babies will put anything in their mouth. But as they mature, they know what to put in their mouths and they know what not to put in their mouths. Babies don't have any discernment. They don't know what's good, what's, what's bad. But as they mature, they do. They know exactly. That's why a parent can say to a kid that's a little older, you know better. You know better and we expect better of you. They can say that to him. What do you mean I know better? You know better. And because I know you know better, here comes the punishment. I'll give, or I'll give you one more chance. How many of you used to count? One, two, and, and the parents that never cash in when they have to count to three, that kid's thinking, all I gotta do is make it through the countdown and I'm good. Um, no, our kids knew that three was a bad number was a bad, bad number. Isn't it amazing? The Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction drives it far from him. Would it be safe to say that where there wasn't loving discipline and correction in a child's life that they could grow on into adulthood and still be foolish? Could it be that some of the discipline process that you might be going through with the Lord right now is so that foolishness will be driven far from you? Man, don't miss week 12. It's going to be good. That word training there, it, it, it's not telling. Training is living and, and, it's, and it's modeling. Training is coming alongside of train a child in the way that they should go. It doesn't say tell them the way that they should go. I think we'd prefer to tell them training requires a little sweat equity. Training there in the new living or by reason of use in the New King James really aren't the best rendering. I believe the best rendering here is the ESV. It says trained by constant practice. That word trained there, if you'd look it up, it's going to say something unusual. It's going to say exercise naked. It's going to say exercise naked. And it is a reference to um, ancient uh, games um, what, which our Olympics have evolved from, um, these athletes would train naked. Pastor John, why in the world would an athlete in ancient times train naked? That just seems crazy. Well, it's not so crazy if your life depended on it. And many of those games were to the death. Many of those games were to the death. So they had to get the best possible workout they could as they trained, and nothing could hinder that, even clothing, because their life depended on it. And they were all training. They would purposely train in intense heat because they'd have to fight in intense heat. And so they put themselves through conditions even worse than the ones that they would be fighting in so that they could last and so that they could, could live. This word trained evolved from that and it speaks of that which has become a habit. And habits are formed as things are done again and, and again and again. That's why those 
football practices, those basketball practices, have you doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. It's so that those practices will make that which you didn't clearly understand, you'll clearly understand it, and it will just be habitual and muscle memory, and it, you just kick in, you know exactly where your assignment is, you know where to be, you know where to, and so come game time, you execute. And in that day and in that age, game time was life or death. Life or death. And they've got all kinds of, of, of artwork, I guess, and sculptures that, that show these athletes that are disfigured and scarred because of all the battles that they faced. Pretty powerful to note that Spiritual maturity is speaking of the habits that you have. It's been said that success is found in your daily routine. Could I say that maturity is found in your habits? Spiritual maturity is found in your habits. I mean, is today the only day that you've cracked your Bible? Is today the only day that you've worshipped? Coming to church might be your habit, and it's good, man. We want you to come to church. Don't miss chapter 10 for that. We want you to come to church. But how many of you know that this is where you're equipped? This isn't where you live. This isn't where you live. And hopefully this is encouraging you as to how you're supposed to live. Well, Pastor John, why aren't things working out for me? I don't know. What's your life like? What are your habits? What are your habits? How much are you in to God's word? When I went to Israel five years ago, we were allowed to um, go into a traditional Jewish family's home and celebrate the Shabbat or the Saturday Sabbath meal with them. And in Israel, everything shuts down on Saturday because it's the Sabbath. It's the Shabbat. And so even the elevator, you can't, you can't operate the elevator, so every floor is punched. And if you're staying, where would we, the, the Hilton in Jerusalem, and so I don't know how many floors there was, but I got on that thing and it was lit up like a Christmas tree. I'm like, all right. Mm, 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 mm. Took a while to get down to the dining area. Um, you, they, uh, they don't turn the coffee machine on. I think that's a sin. They don't turn the coffee machine on, nothing. <laughs> and so we, when we went over to this house, I was told by Pastor Dwayne, John? They're probably not going to make you any coffee. Um, but my family was so godly that when I went there, they said, you guys want anything to drink? Water, coffee, tea? I said, coffee? Well, yeah, John. I said, I would love a cup of coffee. And a great big Starbucks mug. You know, this was, a, this was a family that had moved back to Israel, successful family from the New York area. And their, their habits were, they almost shamed me the traditions that they kept, the habits that they held. 
And I went back kind of feeling like they don't even believe Jesus came the first time. And look at the discipline they have in their traditions. And so from that moment on, I purposed that I wasn't just going to be consistently in the Word of God, that I was going to read through the Bible every year. And I've done that ever since 2013. I'm in the book or the Gospel of John right now, almost done um, with it this year already. I was inspired by their, their habits, by their discipline. What are your spiritual disciplines? What are they? What are, well, Pastor John, it's so, it's so hard for me. No, it isn't. Just begin. Just start. Don't talk about it. J- just start. Just start. Oh, I really need to. I re- just start. Just start. And set realistic goals. Nothing unreasonable. Don't do that. You're not going to work out five times a week, so don't do that. And you're probably not going to have ripped abs. Don't, don't do that. You know, don't do that to yourself. And I'm grateful for the, the, the 90 days that those intense workouts but, you know, last, but then you've got to come off of the 90 days and you still have to incorporate something so that the rest of the 270, you know, whatever, five days, uh, you've got to have some kind of, kind of workout going on, okay? Or you just had 90 days of, of fitness. Do you, do you see the sense? Be realistic in the goals that you set. Be re- but start. Just, everybody's got excuses. Everybody's got them. Just start. Get going. Why? Because your maturity depends on it. It depends on your spiritual disciplines, your spiritual habits. Well, Pastor John, I don't want it to become law. I think that's such a cop-out. Is, is getting up and eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner law to you? No, it's necessary. And spiritually, it's necessary, too, that you feed. Spiritually, it's necessary, too, that you worship the Lord. And you need to worship him. You need to humble yourself before him because he's Lord and you aren't. And worship is a reminder that God is alive and on the throne. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. Do not neglect him. Worship him. Do not neglect the, work, the word of God. Feed on the word of God. The Bible says that God is so awesome that we can feed on his faithfulness. It says that his mercies are new every morning. That tomorrow morning when you get up, your faithful God will be there. And you can feed on his faithfulness. Your excuses for for, for not or for I won't or your concerns about somebody else that, you know, you, you'd, you'd bring them to church, but stop it. Let God be God. God reached you. Think about the churches that you went to where God reached you. Think about the event that you were at where God reached you. Man, we are not Holy Ghost Junior, like Joyce Meyer says. And we need to, start to stop controlling people's lives, and we just need to get them to Jesus. I'm so glad that my sister wasn't afraid to approach me when I was smoking weed and snorting coke and getting drunk and sleeping around to ask me to come to church. I'm so glad that she wasn't worried that a guy that was listening to Jimi Hendrix and the Doors and all of that Woodstock era music that I was listening to wouldn't buy into a full orchestra and choir. I'm so glad 
And all she said was, John, just come once. It's all we want you to do is come once. So I came. Hung over up till five in the morning snorting coke with my buddy who was a coke dealer, and I came to church. And just that one time, seed was planted in my heart and my life. I had to come back again and again and again. And God had been working on me. And December 31st, 1983, I walked an aisle, invited Jesus into my heart, and I've never been the same since. You allow God to change someone unless you really think you can. And that's a scary place to be. You, you get him into God's presence. Just bring him to Jesus. Just bring him to Jesus. This isn't rocket science. He's still changing people's lives today. Don't worry. If they don't like the music, they'll get over it. If they don't like the message, they'll get over it. God will get to them. God will get to them. Come on, church. How did you get changed? How did you get changed? So what is your, what's your daily routine? What's your, what's your course? What's your pattern? What are your habits? What habits need to go on? What habits need to begin? It can start today. Why couldn't it start today? Anybody that ever lost a great deal of weight began on a certain day. It can start today. Anybody that ever got in shape after having been out of shape for so long, they began. And today can be your day. It can be the day that you start. It can be the day that you begin. And so I just want to ask you just a couple questions, and then we're going to have communion together, and, and then I'm going to challenge you as we have communion. And so guys, why don't you begin to grab the communion emblems where are you at today if you were looking at your, your, your rhythm, your pattern, your, your routine? Where is it at? Do you fear the Lord? Do you fear the Lord? Let me just say this. The Bible says in more than one place, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't fear the Lord, you haven't even begun to be wise. Or you're lacking wisdom if you don't fear God. Do you think that you won't stand before him? Do you think that you won't give an account to God? Of course you will. We all will. I would fear him now. I would fear him now. Let me ask you this. Has your listening grown dull? And are you living a life of obedience or were you living a life of obedience and then as soon as you had to suffer a little bit, you closed down and you shut down? Well, it must be nice for you to lead you. I thought the Holy Spirit was to lead and guide us into all truth. Yeah, these are challenging and these are hard things, but they're truths nonetheless. And I don't care how much faith you have, you do not call the shots and you're not leading. God's leading you. We're followers of Jesus Christ. They that are led by the Spirit of God are called sons and daughters of God. Is he leading or are you leading? Are you out there in front of him? Are you constantly asking him for something again and again and again, or is God leading you? I figure if I'm close enough to him, then he should have no problem directing the course of my life. I'm not always fleecing it. You know, God, if you really, really love me, You'll call me away from Ionia. God, if you really, really, if you really, really love me, you'll get me out of this neighborhood, out of this workplace, out of this school, out of. 
What if God's saying, if you really, really love me, you'll stay? If you really, really love me, you'll bloom where you're planted. You'll grow. If you really, really love me, you'll reach that neighborhood, that workplace, that school, that community. Man, if you came just for that, that was worth the price of admission this morning. Are you growing spiritually? And do you know between right and wrong, or all of a sudden has that got blurry? Man, for the Christian, the Bible says the spirit in us, it bears witness. That's what all those checks, that's what all those urgings are. It's the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to do this. It's uncomfortable for me. Mm -hmm. No, 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 don't do that. I don't want you doing that. But I want to. And you're being led. And you're being led. How many things are you willing to lay at his feet, saying, should I, shouldn't I? This is good stuff this morning, you guys. Ushers, want you come. We're going to take communion together. And I love using communion as a time to challenge, as a time to challenge us. I'm believing that God has spoken to your heart at some point in the message here this morning.